Hi guys, welcome back to the Balanced Empowered Fitness Podcast. Hannah Polly here and have a super exciting episode for you guys. I have an awesome guest on our podcast today. So we have Regina Ottinger with us and she is from a local organization called A Lighter Shade of Blue who actually helps and supports women through postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and things like that. And I'm just so excited to pick her brain, have her share her story, just because, you know, as I've been talking about, if you are, if you've been watching my stories, we've been discussing this topic a lot lately, as far as postpartum depression and things that, again, this is just not talked about enough. And there's not enough support out there for these women who experience this. And typically they don't, they're not even getting the support they need from their doctors or the healthcare system. So have Regina on here today. She's going to share her story and some insight for all of us and just to teach us more about postpartum depression, what it is, resources available, and how we can best support mothers who go through this. So Regina, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, of course. I really appreciate you so much. Guys, I actually like found Regina through Facebook. So I put a post out there asking for someone who has experience with helping women through postpartum depression and things like that. And uh, someone actually referred her organization and said they saved her life. So I dug into their stories. I I read all their stories online and Regina's story. I literally was crying (laughs) reading it. Um, The things that you shared online were so powerful. And I feel like you know, so many women are experiencing those same things and they just feel alone and they don't understand that, like, they're just like, why do I feel like this? You know, they don't understand there's actually something wrong physically and mentally that they need help and support through. Um, So, so yeah, like I said, I just want to dive into, you know, I want to hear about you today. So, um, you know, what, what was your experience with postpartum depression? You know, what do you do? Like, I just want to hear about you and just kind of hear where you got started with a lighter shade of blue. Okay. Well, um, my story starts in 2003. That's when I had my first child. So he's almost 20. So obviously I'm not a new mom anymore. And, but I've been a part of a lighter shade of blue for almost that long. So, um, when he was, when he was born, I was very excited to be a mom. I, I thought I was really great with kids. I had, I had worked with kids, um, been a nanny, a babysitter since I was 13 and I had, was a teacher. So I, I felt like my whole life had been preparing me for motherhood and that I was going to be a, the best mom ever. And then he was born and things just started falling apart pretty much from the get go. Um, he had an undiagnosed heart condition that we did not find out about until after he was born. Um, it should have been probably detected in the womb, but it wasn't. And uh, he was in the hospital for about six weeks. And during that time, he almost died several times. It was just a, a really stressful time, but I wasn't I wasn't taking care of him. I was just watching other people take care of him. And I would say the best way to describe my mental condition during that time was kind of numb. Um, I, I wasn't really feeling anything. I was just kind of surviving. And during that time, we had a lot of great support um, people, you know, visiting us in the hospital because I pretty much, I stayed with him every single day that he was in the hospital and um, children's hospital was great. They always made sure I was taken care of, but um, we had a lot of friends and family that were visiting and and supporting us. And then um, finally, he was uh, regulated on medication and able to come home. And it was like, you pick up a rock and all the bugs scatter. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Everybody just like vanished. And it was always like, oh, we're just going to leave you guys to bond. Now you're home alone and let's just leave you alone. And that was when I needed support the most um, because I didn't know what I was doing. Most moms spend the first six weeks figuring out what they're doing. I spent the first six weeks watching other people take care of my child. So I had no idea what I was doing. And then on top of that, he had, um, I'm not sure if he had colic or acid reflux or whatever, but he cried constantly. And it didn't seem like we, I mean, we tried everything. Nothing seemed to be working. He did not sleep unless he was upright on our chest. And uh, so that meant I never, I, I might get him to sleep for 45 minutes at a time, 
but it meant I didn't sleep for about five months. Um, I even when he would go to sleep, I couldn't sleep because I'm laying there thinking I need to sleep because I only have a few minutes to get a get some sleep in. And my mind is whirling with this and then I can't sleep. So I had these constant racing thoughts just uh, keeping me awake. And uh, we uh, didn't have any family that lived really close. So I didn't ever get a break. Um, my family lived several hours away. Phil's, my husband's family lived several hours away. So we didn't really have much of a support system at that time. And then on top of that, I began to have suicidal thoughts um, pretty much every day, I would say, especially if I was in the car and driving because he hated being in the car seat and he cried and screamed the whole time we were in the car. And so every telephone pole I would drive by, I would just think, man, I could just end it all. And there are two things that kept me from doing it. Number one was God, for sure. And number two, I was afraid I wouldn't be successful. I thought I'm such a failure at being a mother. So I probably wouldn't be able to even kill myself. Right. And I would just end up paralyzing myself and making my life worse. And I know it's hard to imagine that somebody would go this long in this state, but I went nine months untreated because 20 years ago, it was not talked about. Um, now we hear about it in TV shows or um, through celebrity interviews or whatever. You hear about it a lot more often. And even even a lot of hospitals now do a questionnaire as you, when you have the baby to see if you have any symptoms. Um, when I gave birth 20 years ago, that did not happen. <laughs> the only frame of reference we had for postpartum mood disorders was Andrea Yates, who had drowned her five kids. And Susan Smith, who had killed her two children. So we associated postpartum depression with killing your child. Yeah. And so so it never occurred to me that this is was my issue. And I, I kind of thought it was because of my son. If he wasn't such a difficult baby, I wouldn't be like this. Well, um, he started to get better after about five or six months. Uh, whatever was going on in his stomach seemed to have resolved. And he was not quite so um, fussy and was sleeping better, but I wasn't getting any better. I guess I kind of had thought, you know, when he improves, I'll improve, but I wasn't. I was um, still very suicidal. And um, I'll, I'll be honest about one thing that I experienced, and this will shock people that have never experienced postpartum depression, uh, and it will alarm you, but I'm going to explain it. So bear with me. But at the worst of, I, I don't have a lot of memories during that nine months. I really don't because I've kind of blocked a lot of it out. But the probably the most um, horrific memory I have of that nine months is when my son would scream sometimes for three or four hours at a time. I would actually envision myself throwing him against the wall just to stop him. And then I would get so horrified that I had thought such a thing that I would put him in a swing where he was safe and, and go outside just to be away from him. Because at the time I thought if I think it, I could do it. Yeah. And I have since learned in after years of therapy that that is not true. If you think something like that and you are horrified by it, you aren't going to act on it because you still know right from wrong. It is, it is when you have a thought like that and it sounds perfectly logical and normal to you that you have crossed over into psychosis and could possibly act on that. And unfortunately, a lot of women, when it does seem right to them, they, they don't know to get help because it sounds normal. That's when the family unit, your support system has to step in and make those, um, make you get the help that you need. But I didn't know that at the time. To me, if I thought it, then I was just a horrible person. And it didn't help that, you know, a lot of my friends and family around me at the time, um, because my son had almost died when he was born, he got called the miracle baby. <laughs> and so every time people would see me, oh, you know, there's the miracle baby. It was all about him. And I don't think one person ever asked me how I was doing. Not ever. It was always, how's his heart? You know, how, you know, is he still on medication? How's that doing? And 
and it always would end with something like, you must be so grateful. So I knew in my mind, I wasn't grateful. I was feeling resentful, but the fact that they're telling me what I should be feeling and I'm not feeling that made me feel about this big. And what little bit I thought I could be as a mother was now like, yeah, you're not even worthy of having this child, which of course perpetuated the suicidal thoughts because people who say that suicide is a selfish act have never been suicidal. I can tell you as a suicidal person, um, I thought I was doing what was best for everyone in my life. It was not about being selfish at all. It was about my son would have a better chance at a good life with any other mother other than me. My husband would have a better chance at having a good life with anyone other than me. So honestly, I can tell you, having been suicidal for probably a good year and a half of my life, it was not about selfishness at all. It was, I, I thought I was, was doing what was best for my family. And it came to the point where um, I actually wrote a suicide note. And my husband then, I don't know if he found it or saw it. I showed it. I don't know. But he realized that things were pretty serious and that something needed to change. But again, we didn't know what. We had no frame of reference for postpartum depression. And at that time, Cincinnati put out some kind of magazine. I can't remember what it was called, but it had like all kinds of resources. It was kind of free that comes in your mail and it had all kinds of resources. And one thing it would have is like a list of support groups for all these different issues. And sometimes, <coughs> pardon me, sometimes we would look through them almost to kind of like, can you believe there's a support group for this? And can you believe there's a support group for this? And I can still remember um, him sitting at the table and reading down through these and he came across a lighter shade of blue. And it, it talked a little bit about postpartum depression or uh, that's what we called it at the time. And he said, you know, maybe that's what you have. You should, you should go to one of the meetings. And I did not want to go at all. Because I thought if I tell them even a fraction of what is going on in this head, they will have me committed and they will take my son away from me. I mean, I was positive that's what would happen. And so I I kind of battled with him about it for about a month. And then I decided to go to a meeting. I, I didn't have any frame of reference much for support group meetings. I had attended an AA meeting in college for a class. And so I thought it was going to be something like that, where you're there's a crowd of people and you can kind of disappear in the back and nobody will talk to you and, you know, that sort of thing. And that's not the way it was. There were only two other moms there. Um, Teresa, the woman who runs the group with me and um, the mom who used to run the group before us. And so there was no hiding, <laughs> but they were very kind. They did not expect me to talk at all if I didn't want to talk. Um, they simply shared their stories. And when they started sharing their stories, that was the first time I realized that I wasn't the only one to feel this way. I wasn't the only one to go through this. Before that, I thought it was just me. And so that was just like a tiny ray of hope in my, my heart and my mind to realize I wasn't alone. And the other thing, the benefit that came out of that is they recommended that I see a psychiatrist. And I know, again, in this day and age where it's perfectly normal for people to go on medication and see therapists, 20 years ago, it really wasn't. And especially for me, I was raised in a fairly strict um, uh, Christian church that they were fine with going to doctors for your physical health, but mental health, that was something that you should rely on God for. Matter of fact, I can give you a direct quote from my grandmother. She said, Gina, you don't need meds. You need Jesus. And so that was kind of the way I was raised. And it would have never occurred to me to go to a psychiatrist because I wasn't that bad. <laughs> and, um, but I was, I just didn't really realize it. And psychiatry and therapy saved my life. And I would have never um, taken advantage of that without a lighter shade of blue. So I can tell you, along with Chelsea, yes, a lighter shade of blue saved my life. Um, 
so I, I, to make a long story short, I saw a wonderful psychiatrist. Unfortunately, she's retired because I've been recommending people to her for 20 years, but, um, she, she got me on medication that I, I needed to, to write my brain chemistry. Um, she pointed me to a great therapist who helped me deal with a lot of issues. Um, my main issues were, Number one, I felt like I had scarred my son for life and that he would be um, some kind of psychopath because because of what I had been like the first year of his life. I felt like I had not bonded with him at all. And um, my therapist so wonderfully showed me that just because I hadn't bonded with him didn't mean he hadn't bonded with me. I had fed him. I had kept him clean and dry and even though I didn't feel that love deep down inside for him, like so many mothers say they do, didn't mean that he didn't feel that from me because I was providing his needs. And to that, to a baby, that's love. When you provide their needs, that's love. And so he was bonded to me, whether I felt bonded to him or not. And uh, just to show you the end of the story, like I said, he's almost 20 and he's a well-rounded citizen. He's not a psychopath yet. <laughs> and so it didn't do any lasting damage that I have ever been able to see. If anything, he's too bonded to me because yeah, he will talk to me about anything and a long time. So I'm not too worried about that, but I was then I was very worried. And the second thing I really needed to deal with was um, I had a lot of resentment towards my family and friends because I felt like they hadn't been there for me. Um, even though I knew logically they didn't understand what I was going through any more than I knew what I was going through. But there was just that feeling of why weren't they there? And so I had to deal with a lot of, a lot of those things. And so I would say the, the pairing of medication and therapy was completely crucial to my recovery. And because I had been, uh, I had been untreated for almost a year. It did take quite a while. It wasn't like something like, oh, a week later, she's fixed. Um, it did take months and uh, really probably close to a couple of years before I felt like I was really me again. And again, it's a different me because you're a mother. You're not not ever going to be the same person you were before, but a healthier mentally me. And so that's, that's pretty much my story. I, I mean, I stayed obviously with a lighter shade of blue just because again, these women saved my life. And if I can help somebody else that way, then it makes everything that I went through worthwhile. Otherwise it was just a really dark time in my life that I don't want to think about. But if I can, if I can help somebody else through that same time and give them the hope that those women gave me, then it, it makes it worth it. Wow. Yeah, that is so powerful. And like I, something I admire about you is that these things that you share, these very vulnerable things that you're like, I can't believe like I had these thoughts, like you share that in hopes to help other women and understand that like, mm -hmm. you're not alone in having these thoughts. Like that's, that's right. so awesome of you. Like I said, when I read your story, I was like, wow, this is so powerful. Um, and you know, something you mentioned too, is like, you know, it's so easy for people from the outside looking in when they read about these things or they hear someone say these things about like think thoughts you had, they don't, when they don't understand what postpartum depression or what these women are going through, it's so easy for people to judge, right? It's so uh -huh. easy for people to say, gosh, I, I would never think that about my kid or like, you know, and, and like, I, I, I'll be honest, years ago, I remember like hearing about something. I think it was the one with the woman who like drowned her five children. I think uh -huh. my mom yeah. talked about it was like, and I was like younger, but I was like, gosh, how could anyone ever do that? You know? And like, it's just a normal thought for people who don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just really interesting. And then how you like, I'm in your story, you talked about on the website as well, how like you didn't really get a lot of support from your doctor. And again, I'm not putting down doctors or anything, mm -hmm. but, and that also that was, like you said, that was 20 years ago, but even mm -hmm. now I hear that like yeah. women don't get the support that they need. They probably do get more than you did back in 2003, but still, like, I feel like sometimes it can be brushed off as that, that maybe they're just sleep deprived or like maybe yeah. just like, you know, like, do you have any opinion on that? Or like, like, is there any insight you want to give women who, you know, experience that or like, like if there's a like significant other 
and think or saying things like that like is there any insight on that or like have you seen that happen with a lot of women that like you work with in lighter in a lighter shade of blue Oh, very much so. I mean, I could tell you horror stories of the of direct quotes that women have heard from doctors. And like my story, yes, I, I didn't go to my six-week checkup because my son was still in the hospital. So I actually didn't get in to see a doctor till he was five months old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then when I did go and I cried through the entire visit, this doctor, this OBGYN, told me that I had a touch of the baby blues. Well, if he had had even the slightest knowledge of what baby blues are, they only last the first three weeks after giving birth. I was five months postpartum. So there was no way it was baby blues. But this is what a medical doctor told me. So I thought, okay, well, then I guess this is just it. And I'll just wait for it to pass. And then more months went by and it didn't pass. But he wasn't, he was an older doctor, you know, obviously retired now. One of the things that um, I recommend to moms when they're looking for an OBGYN is to ask them specifically, like, it's like you're interviewing them because they're going to be a huge part of your life for almost a year. So, and you're going to see them on a weekly basis, sometimes bi-weekly basis, depending on what your pregnancy is like, ask them what do you think of postpartum depression? How do you handle that? What do you look for? And like I said before, a lot of hospitals are doing a lot better about this now by handing out questionnaires, you know, like how are you feeling about things to try to get a sense of that and are doing a lot better. Another another doctor that I think really needs to be up on this is pediatricians. And here's why. You're going to see a pediatrician way before you see your OBGYN. When those babies are born, you're seeing a pediatrician every week within the first week postpartum. And then every week for like that first month, who better to catch that kind of thing than a pediatrician? When, you, when you're that frazzled new mom that brings that baby in and starts crying, pediatricians need to know how to direct moms to the right resources that they need. Because in a lot of ways, they'll see it before an OBGYN will. That, that is so interesting because, you know, again, me who doesn't have any kids, I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought that, you know, no, no one really knows, like you said er- earlier, no one really knows what to expect of motherhood until you're in it. Right. And, you know, you're seeing your period. That's, that's so important. And, and two, to ask about those things and be proactive and asking that, um, because I feel like too, like another thing I was going to ask you as well is, is there any type of, besides, of course, talking with like an OBGYN, any other precautions that you think women could take? Like, would you recommend them possibly seeking out support groups even before they have their baby? Or do you Oh, just- absolutely. When I went to have my second child, at first I was not going to have any more children at all. Um, but I finally, about four years, my kids are four years apart I was finally willing to have another child, but before I ever even considered getting pregnant, I had a support system in place. I I wanted to have a therapist that I had already vetted and was ready to go if I needed her. I wanted to have like, you know, people that are going to visit, like I even had a schedule, like when I was pregnant with my, my daughter, um, I even had a schedule, like you're going to check in with me this week and you're going to check in with me this week. I mean, I was very proactive in in setting up my support system instead of before just leaving it. And people thought, well, I don't hear from her, so she must be fine. Um, One, one gift that postpartum depression gives you is you learn to advocate for yourself and you learn to ask for help when you need it instead of thinking, well, I can tough this out and do it by myself because I know I can't. I've been there and I know I can't. Yeah, no, I, I did read it in your, in your story as well, how you said, that's why I really resonated with you. You're like, I was, I've always been independent. You like drove yourself to the hospital. So that's really powerful to hear from a woman like yourself, who's very independent. So I can do something and say, no, advocate for yourself, like do this. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I feel like for some of us who are very independent women, we don't like to ask for help, but when it comes oh, to, for sure. yeah. you have to, because at the end of the day, like you need that. Uh, so that that's honestly that's that's incredible to hear that. Um, and I'm glad too. Like I saw too that like you didn't experience postpartum depression with your daughter, so right? You think that and I know this is probably hearsay. It's kind of you can't really give a factual answer here. But do you think preparing yourself ahead of time and taking those preventative measures helped you? Like having that support system and mm-hmm. just kind of having a plan ahead of time. 
absolutely. I would say, and, and a lighter shade of blue has had probably at least 200 women come through it in the 20 years that I've been part of it. And I would say um, of the, and again, I'm just going on the, what I have seen and my own personal experience. This isn't some kind of poll that I've taken, but the women that have had recurring postpartum with subsequent children, there were several factors. Number one, they had, they had subsequent children too quickly. They didn't allow their, their body and their mind to recover from the previous child before they went on to get pregnant. And sometimes they didn't have a support system in place. Another thing is they go off their meds. This is a huge thing because a lot of women do not want to be on medication when they're pregnant. Well, I can tell you from my own psychiatrist who was the premier psychiatrist for postpartum mood disorders in this area, Dr. Geraldine Wu, who has spoken to um, doctors all over the country about postpartum mood disorders. She has said, and I'm letting you know from her, that she has said the little bit of medication that somehow gets to the baby in utero it, or even in breast milk, if you're breastfeeding, is so minuscule compared to the mental health and that toll that that takes on the baby, that it is far more beneficial for you to stay on your meds than to go off thinking that somehow it's healthier for the baby. A healthy mom is what is healthier for the baby. So yes, I did stay on med medication while I was pregnant with my daughter. I stayed on medication when I breastfed her and I did not have any, any, adverse effects. She's almost 16 and doing great. If anything, it made her a calmer baby, maybe because, <laughs> or maybe she was just calmer because I was calmer, but yeah, she was compared to my son. She was just like, yeah, definitely, yeah. um, better sleeper and all, all the way around just a calmer baby. But I, I credit waiting to, to have another child. I credit um, staying on my medication and then for sure having a support system. I even saw my therapist while I was pregnant because I, I had done therapy for a couple years after my son, but then I had kind of graduated from therapy. She said I was doing fine. But then when I got pregnant again, a lot of those anxieties came back. Like, what if it comes back? You know, what if I go through this again? And so I got myself in therapy before I'd even had her, you know, to already like get out ahead of it. Like I need to have a plan in place. Wow. And all of those things, I think all of those things kind of helped it not be that way the second time around. Wow. That, no, that's, that's, and that's so good for, you know, I mean, anyone to hear and like, again, me again, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of women who are listening, who maybe don't have kids yet, that, that thought is very scary. It's like, gosh, I can't imagine experiencing something where we have zero control of our thoughts, but I know now, like I know 100%, if I do decide to have children, I'm going to definitely take your advice and plan ahead of time, you know, um, because you just can't ever be too prepared for something like that. Oh, Absolutely. I know, I know if somebody had told me about postpartum depression when I was pregnant, I would have been like, yeah, that's not going to happen to me. I'm way too strong for that. Yeah. But when it did, I would have remembered that. And I would have been like, okay, now I know who to go to for help. And so now I, I'm kind of the Debbie Downer when <laughs> I encounter um, pregnant women, you know, in my life, I'm like, listen, I hope this doesn't happen to you, but it might and so if it does, please come talk to me and I can help you or help you get in touch with the resources that you need. Because I, I don't want anyone to ever be as uninformed as I was. Yeah. Wow. Oh, absolutely. And and honestly, I'm sure that they respect you for that. <laughs> you know, um, just the things that I've heard and seen. And I, I mean, I've seen people say like, they're just, they have triggers from, they've had such a horrible experience with postpartum depression. They're nervous to have more children or like, oh yeah figured if they even see a pregnant woman and it's, it just breaks my heart that these women go through these things. So it's just so important to spread awareness and, you know, let these women know there's, there are resources out there. And even if their doctor's not providing that there's other resources. So that's why I loved your group. I'm like, wow, this is like so awesome that you guys do this for these women. Um, do you have, this is where I'm very interested as well, any tips or like ways that family members, friends, siblings can help women in their lives who are experiencing. Um, I know it's going to look different for each person, but it's like, what are the best ways that other people in their, in these mother's lives can support them best? I would say, first of all, 
just ask her how she is doing and really want to know how she is doing. Don't make it all about the baby. So much of the whole postpartum period is all about the baby and their cute little outfits and their cute little pictures and everything. Ask the mom how she's doing and really mean it. Like, I want to know how you're doing. Is the baby sleeping? How are you coping with that? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? You know, you, sometimes you have to get really personal and say, it's okay if it's not okay, because they might want to try to put on a happy face because they that's what they think you want to hear. But say, you know what? I know it can be really hard. Even if you didn't experience postpartum depression, if you've had a child, you know, it can be hard. And so say that, say, it's okay if it's not going great. You can be honest about it. And I'm not going to judge you. I, I just want to help you in whatever way I can. Wow. Yeah, no, that's so that and like with this, it's like little things can go such a long way here. Cause again, I feel like we just see like the glorified moments of motherhood, right? Like on social media, like, you know, and, like, especially as young females, yeah. they maybe always want to be a mom. They're just seeing all these pictures of these cute babies and their outfits, which is great. I know that motherhood is so powerful and beautiful, but also they're not understanding the hard part, the behind the scenes, you know, not sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, and things like that. So I think it's just really important for people to understand what these women are going through. And just even just by checking in with them, maybe having like a check-in system or offering to let them have a nap for 15 minutes. Like, yeah, like it's just crazy because I, I'm like my youngest, I don't have any younger siblings. So I've, I've seen my sister have babies and I was just too young to even understand. Like, I don't even know if that's something she experienced um, when I was that age, but it's just, it's, it's crazy how you just you're not aware unless you, you, you don't know what you don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I would, I would say too, like, instead of saying, Hey, if there's anything I can ever do to help, give me a call, be proactive about it and say, Hey, I want to drop off dinner one night this week. What night would work best for you? Oh. Or, Hey, I want to come over and, and help you. Um, either I can do some housework and you hold the baby or I'll hold the baby and you do housework, which night would work better for you. That, that takes the burden off of her from calling you and reaching out and instead says, Hey, I'm really serious about this. I'm not just saying it to be polite. I want to help you. Yeah, no, that that's, that is. And it's so easy for us to say, it's just like, if you're like, you know how it is in adulthood when you try to hang out with friends, you're like, yeah, let's hang out sometime. And then it yeah. never happens. But instead yeah. being proactive, you know, saying yeah. I'm going to do this. When is the best time for you? And not really giving her an option to be like, okay, I'll let you know. Because like, yeah. you I feel like most moms, they're just kind of in like that flight or fight mode and they're just trying yeah. to survive. You know, they're just trying to do yeah. what they can do. They're not thinking about how other people can help them. They're just trying to survive and keep their yeah. baby alive and well. So um, that's, that's really, really good insight. Um, and definitely, so, and this might be, I'm not sure if this is something that you've, anything you've heard. Are there any like common myths or like misconceptions about postpartum depression, maybe anything that like you've commonly heard and just things that are like are good to get out there that maybe aren't true that a lot of people might assume about postpartum okay. depression? Well, for one thing, um, and, and I was going to bring this in too, there, it, it's really not called postpartum depression anymore. It's called postpartum mood disorders. And one of the common myths is that postpartum depression just means, oh, you're laying in bed crying all the time because that's what we think of when we think of depression. But postpartum mood disorders show up in a variety of ways. Um, there's postpartum mood dis uh, depression, of course, like where you are, you know, very feeling hopeless, like life is not worth living, that sort of thing. There's also postpartum anxiety where you're having panic attacks. I was having, I had both depression and anxiety and I was having panic attacks daily. Um, also under postpartum anxiety, you have those racing thoughts like, um, oh, I need to do this, but then if I do this, this will happen or, or constantly obsessing that, and this leads to postpartum OCD. Um, and this is kind of a lot of women might have this and don't even realize it is a form of postpartum mood disorders where you're constantly obsessing about the baby, whether you're obsessing that she or he is safe, um, that they're going to get, get in touch with germs or, you don't want anybody else to hold the baby or take care of the baby because nobody can do it as well as you can. Um, don't want to let them out of your sight, want to watch them sleep. That's a form of obsessive compulsive where we usually think of that as like not touching doorknobs or washing your hands a lot of times. It takes a completely different form in the postpartum period. And then the one that's probably talked about the least because it is very... Uh, 
it's it feels shameful to the person is postpartum rage where and I have I have experienced this as well um where you just have an inexplicable feeling of like oh my goodness I'm going to explode just and without provocation and you just want to throw things and break things it's just this rage that wells up in you and you don't even I, I always tell the women in our group, I can literally, when I would have these episodes, it's like I'm watching myself outside of my body and like, what are you doing? Calm down. But you can't make yourself calm down. It's like you're a different person. And that's a part of postpartum mood disorders as well. So the myth is that it's just crying in bed, okay, or not eating or not sleeping. It is so much more than that. And so to think that, oh, if I'm not feeling suicidal, then I probably don't have it. Well, that's not necessarily true. You might be having a different form of a postpartum mood disorder. So, yeah. but all of those are are able to be treated. It's just, they're treated differently. And so we've had, we've had women with all of those symptoms, even psychosis in our, in our support group, Psycho, uh, postpartum psychosis is when you get to that point and it usually starts out as a postpartum mood disorder, but it gradually becomes that because it's left untreated. Um, like in the case of Andrea Yates, where she killed her children, she had five children back to back, like one every year. And every year she had postpartum and never got treated. And so then she'd have another kid and then another, and it got worse until she heard the voice of Satan telling her to drown her children and thought that was perfectly normal. And who was responsible in that situation was her husband because her husband knew this was going on and did absolutely nothing to get her treatment. So in cases of postpartum psychosis, it is vital that the family step up and take action when they see these disturbing behaviors. Wow. So I, I would just say that if you're experiencing something like say the OCD part where I'm like, I, I don't want to hurt my baby. I love my baby. I don't want anybody else to touch my baby doesn't mean that you don't have some form of an issue here just because yours doesn't look like this person's. It still is an unhealthy um, obsession with your child that can actually hinder you down the road from having to send them off to school or whatever the case may be, because they're not going to be able to be with you all the time. They will encounter germs. I can assure you they will get sick. Yeah. That's just what kids do, but it's okay. Mentally, you can be okay with that. Absolutely. No, and it's like, that's so important to know because, you know, now that you're saying these things, I'm thinking about friends who have babies and things that they've said over the years where like, I remember one of my friends, she said, I had to keep stopping the car and checking if my baby was breathing in the backseat, you know, and it's like, even yeah. though like it never really got worse than that for her, like she was experiencing that. So like, you know, like, I feel like women experience things, but they just feel like it's normal and it's okay to like have these obsessive thoughts, right? Not saying it's wrong to have these thoughts, but that they're could be potentially something deeper going on there that yes. could get worse. Yeah. Something to work on and be aware of and not just like brush those thoughts under the rug. Yeah. So that's, it's really interesting. And then about, as I was actually going to bring this up as well, you met, you touched on um, postpartum like psychosis. And that's actually something I just recently heard about. I mean, I'm not even joking like a month ago. And so for someone like how would you explain that? Like, what would be like any type of warning signs that maybe someone, I know you said before where you don't really, you, when you get to that point, you just, you don't really have any thoughts of like, oh, that's horrible. I thought like that. Is right. there any type of like warning signs from like, for like family members or significant others that maybe their partner is experiencing this? And like, what would be the best action to take if they think so? If you have, well, if they're, first of all, if they're experiencing a disassociation with reality, like they're hearing voices, they might be seeing hallucinations like say you know they say did you see did you hear that you know and you know that that's not reality that is a huge warning sign because they are starting to disassociate with reality and that um would be something that means they need probably in-house treatment somewhere very quickly um anytime they're hearing voices hallucinating in some way um those are the the main symptoms that i know of um that probably somebody else might recognize because in yourself, yeah, you probably, it'll seem normal to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it, that's, that's to the point where, you know, you can potentially save someone's life, you know, cause like you right. said, the point where they're just kind of out of touch reality. And again, it's so easy for people to look in and judge 
that person, but in, like they don't understand things she's going through. So again, that's why I love that you're touching on this. And because like I said, this is something I, I mean, I just heard about this. I, I, I've always heard of like postpartum mood disorders and things like that, but the psychosis part, I'm like, what is this? And I was researching like, wow, oh, I never heard of this. Well, um, because a lot of times it's been identified as postpartum depression in the news yeah. and it's not. Uh, and so then women that say they have, that find out they have postpartum depression think, oh, I'm going to do, you know, whatever this person did that made the news. And then they're horrified by that. And so a lot of that is just really poor journalism that they don't do their adequate research before posting these things or or putting them out there um, to make sure that you have your information, that you know the differences between these various types of issues. Yeah, no, that's, wow, I feel like I've learned so much today already. <laughs> So I appreciate you sharing. Um, so I wanted to ask just about like what you guys do at a lighter shade of blue. Like, what does that look like for the women who are coming to this group? Um, and just like, feel free to share. Cause I'm super interested to hear like what actually you guys do uh -huh. and how this helps women. Well, we're currently making some changes actually. Um, when the group, I think the group started in 1997, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and at that point there was no, um, support group exclusively for women with postpartum mood disorders in Cincinnati. Now I think there are some at some various hospitals maybe, but back then, if you wanted to go to a support group, you would be lumped in with people with schizophrenia, with bipolar, with, you know, personality disorders. And to a mom who is going through postpartum depression, that would be horrifying to her to, to be hearing, you know, their stories. And then it's like, well, that's not what I I'm experiencing at all. So I must be fine. And then they would leave and, you know, not talk to anybody. So we, um, Rachel, the woman who founded the group felt like it was important as she was going through her experience that women have a safe place for just other women that are going through this. And so that's how a lighter shade of blue got started. And we would meet um, the first Monday of every month, except for September, because that's Labor Day. So we meet the Monday before and um, we would just have a, a group meeting where we sit around. Usually the ones who are, you know, veteran moms who've been there a while tell their stories. And then if others want to talk or ask questions, we we do that and do that for several hours. And we've had as many as, you know, 20, 30 women or as few as two or three. Um, it just depends. And so it's been pretty much that way up until COVID. And then COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench into everything because um, the place where we met was a retirement home. We would meet in one of their, um, in their chapel. Uh, and of course, with retirement homes and, and nursing homes all being completely closed off, we had nowhere to meet. So for a while we would meet in parks, you know, when the weather was nice, like at um, Witten Woods or something like that. And then when, the, of course, the weather got cold, then we were back to wh where do we meet? And we have also noticed that as time has gone by, fewer women are coming to the meetings because, um, first of all, there's not as much stigma about getting help. So women are getting help sooner than they used to. And also we have an online group. We have a private group of just, you know, women that are going through this. And so we're available 24 seven online to help and support one another. And so a lot of women didn't feel like they needed the in-person meetings as much anymore because so much of it was online and, and, and a lot of them were getting help earlier and earlier. So we have kind of changed our, our policy now, um, we still try to meet once a month and we kind of rotate around because we have women from Northern Kentucky. We have women from Indiana. We have women from the East side, from the West side. We have women as far North as almost Dayton. I mean, you know, it's a huge area and you can't travel hours, you know, to go to an in-person meeting. So um, Teresa and myself who are co-facilitate co the meetings have been trying to kind of hop around each month. We'll go to a different part of town. Like, um, last, uh, our next meeting coming up in March is going to be up in blue ash. And then, you know, we're going to go over to the East side. Actually, we just had a meeting over on the East side, eventually down in Northern Kentucky. And we're, we're kind of reserving rooms at public libraries and you can check out our website, a lighter shade of blue.com, uh, for whenever the next meeting is going to be and where it's going to be. 
but we also offer on-demand meetings. So say you're a new mom who just needs to talk to somebody, but you can't make it to a meeting. If you contact us, we will come to you. We will meet wherever you feel comfortable in a restaurant, coffee shop, wherever. Um, and we will do it on your schedule. So that has worked a little bit better because then it's just one-on-one -on -one, or sometimes Teresa and I both will come and it's a smaller, you know, more intimate where you can just talk with us and we can try to help you. And you don't have to drive a long ways to a meeting or whatever, um, or try to do it on maybe a night that doesn't work for you or a day that doesn't work for you. So that's kind of how we're shifting the way we run the group a little bit. Um, kind of trying to space it out um, locally and then also just available on demand as you need a meeting. So it doesn't look quite like it used to, but um, I think we're we're helping in a different way now because, I mean, we kind of have to change with the times and adapt. It's just a different world than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I think that like what you guys do is so awesome. And I think I'm so big about like online things because you can help so many more people that way. Mm -hmm. You know, now you can help people not only in Cincinnati, but across the country because you're doing yeah. things online. So I think that's powerful. And that's like so cool what you guys are doing. So um, and again, a great resource for women. And that's why I was so excited to bring you on. Um, I'll also, guys, I'll also share, I'll have her, their Facebook and website and stuff linked below. That way you can check it out. Um, but yeah, just finishing up, do you have, and, and I know that your website has resources available. Do you have any additional resources or anything that you want to tell, just anything you want to say about postpartum mood disorders for either new moms or maybe family, uh -huh. moms, you know, before we, we end today, just any other insight that you want to share? <laughs> well, because I'm not a medical professional, I can't really recommend any particular doctors. I mean, if you join our group, if you have, and this isn't for people who are just curious about it. This is for women who are actually going through it. But if you just need recommendations, what we have, and um, we will give you privately, it's not posted anywhere publicly, but just therapists and psycho psychologists, psychiatrists that the moms in our group have had success with and say, you know, you know, this person really helped me. It's in your area. It might work for you. Um, we have that. We also even have like in our private group, we have kind of a section where you can put what part of town you're in and find other moms that have been part of our group in your part of town. So maybe you can locally just meet up with other women that have gone through that. We have, you know, websites and, and books and, and all of that that we also recommend. But I did want to share one thing I had posted on our private group um, that I was going to be talking to you today and ask some of our moms to share what they wish someone had told them um, about having a baby and, and the postpartum period. And so I just wanted to share a few of the things that they posted, if that's okay. Absolutely. That's amazing. Um, someone said, I wish someone had told me I might not fall in love the second I saw my baby. I wish someone told me that breastfeeding is hard and that some women just don't make milk. I wish someone had told me that it's okay to not breastfeed and to be confident in me being a mother. Trust your mother gut. It's okay to ask for help. Lean on those closest to you. There is no shame in asking for help. I wish someone had told me it's okay to mourn what your life looked like before kids and thinking about that doesn't make you a bad mom. I wish someone had told me you really do feel like you lose yourself for a while, but you'll eventually find yourself again. I wish someone told me the whole first year PPD could show up because it doesn't always show up like in the first few weeks. Sometimes it can come later. The whole first year is hard and an adjustment, not just the first few months. I wish someone had told me it's okay to have a messy house and you will. The perfection you see on social media is BS. I wish someone had told me pelvic floor therapy is pretty much a necessity and peeing yourself is in fact not normal. <laughs> It's okay to ask for help. I wish I'd known how common it, it is. I also wish I'd realized it can vary in severity. Not needing emergency medical attention doesn't necessarily mean that therapy or medication won't, wouldn't be beneficial for you. I wish I would have been told that sometimes breastfeeding 
the demands and whatnot could contribute to postpartum mood disorders, and that it is important to consider your needs over choosing formula or breastfeeding. I wish someone would have told me about the unrealistic expectations that society holds for mothers, like having to be happy after having your baby and that mothers need to be superheroes and can just do it all, whether they're full-time working moms or stay-at-home moms. We can't do it all, and that is okay. Medications can work wonders for one, but not for someone else. There are many, medica medi many medications, so if a medication is not working, don't lose hope. And I would say that for therapists too. If you're going to a therapist and they are not helping you and you leave feeling worse than you did when you got there, don't keep going to them. Find someone else that you click with. If you are prone for anxiety or depression, maybe get in contact with behavioral health professionals before giving birth, just in case, and to stay on top of it. And so that's just what some of our moms have shared that they wish somebody had told them before they had a, their child. Wow. No, that is so powerful. And things that so many women I know go through and experience and don't even understand that, like, they don't know to be ahead of these things or to think these things. Uh -huh. they, they're always, like you said earlier, like you're just always blaming yourself. You know, you were blaming yourself and moms, you guys are like the most selfless, like creatures on the planet. You're just trying to take care of everyone else. So that's so important is to advocate for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. And to know that like these women aren't alone. Like, so that's really, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. <laughs> that is so insightful. I'm like, gosh, that, that even helps me. I know it's helping so many of these women who are listening. So, um, well, I didn't want it to just be about me and my story because like so many have said in these comments, um, everybody's different and everybody's story is going to be different. So what helped me might be look different for you. And so I wanted you to hear from other women's perspectives, what would have been helpful for them. Yeah. No, this is great. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And like I said, you're so strong to be able to share these things that you experience, because I know that's not easy. You know, it's not easy to tell people what you experience and these thoughts that you had, but you're doing that to help these other women. I think that's powerful. So um, I really appreciate you coming on guys. Like I said, I will link their website and Facebook page below where they have tons of resources and things. Um, as always, you guys can reach out to me if you have any questions. Like I said, you'll be able to get into contact with Regina if needed um, through the links below. But uh, Regina, you're amazing. And I really appreciate you coming on, girlfriend. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And I look forward to meeting maybe some of you that are listening in the future. And I am always available to talk day or night. So my phone number is on our website. Um, my email is on our website as well. And I believe Teresa's is on there. And my schedule is a little bit more flexible than hers. So if you can't reach one of us, you'll probably reach the other. And we just want to be there to help you through whatever it is that you are going through right now. Wow. That's amazing. Yes, ladies, like this is an amazing resource and Regina's amazing. So <laughs> we really appreciate your time, Regina. Thank you. Thank you.